You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Ben Koenig. Hey, Ben has been in education for eight years and is currently the K-6 music teacher at Delaware Elementary School in Evansville, Indiana. The music program at Delaware has performed with celebrities, Grammy, Grammy Award-winning artists, and was featured in USA Today after a music performance video went viral. Now, Ben and I sit down to discuss not only how music teachers can build relationships with students, but how all teachers can find ways to connect with kids. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super pumped today to have Ben on the show. Welcome to the show, Ben. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Uh, as I mentioned, and man, I am super excited to get to know you. But before we get to know you, I always got to start off with connections before content. We do that in the GTKY format. So I'm going to have five simple GTKY questions, and then you're going to flip five back at me, and then we'll get into today's show content. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, Benjamin. What's it? Question number one, simple as this, is thinking about television, right? What is something that during this pandemic that you found yourself watching that you probably never would have watched if it wasn't for the pandemic? Oh, man, that's a good one. Well, I feel like as a 90s child, I really need to catch up to my decades uh, or my time periods, uh, cultural frameworks. A lot of people have been telling me because they know I love Halloween why haven't you watched Hocus Pocus? And I, I, don't, I don't know, it's just something that never interests me. I mean, I always heard about it. I was like, this sounds like a cool movie and I dig Halloween, but I'm just too busy doing other stuff. And everybody at work was like, no, man, you haven't seen Hocus Pocus. You love Halloween. You are sacrilegious. Get your butt out there and watch it. So my daughter and my family and I finally watched it this weekend. I did thoroughly enjoy it. Thank you, Disney Plus, for allowing me to access that. But yeah, I finally got out there. I was like, okay, I did it. I'm a 90s child. Finally, I've redeemed myself for the 90s. So so that was just something. (laughs) All right, Ben. So Ben is walking into school. What's going to be your walk-up song as you're walking into that building? What do you want playing behind you, Ben? Oh, gosh. I think I have so many that go through my head. But I think... um, I think Happy by Pharrell Williams, I think is a good one. Like I always envision that one playing or uh, uh, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. I love musicals in (laughs) Oklahoma. So I always imagine um, that playing in my head. One of those two. Okay. Question number three, simple. DC or Marvel? Oh, DC, because I do a pretty good Batman impression. And the kids would be offended if I picked Marvel. So I got to go with DC. I'm learning your talents. All right. Question number four. Oh my God. That is awesome. Question number four. Um, What's one sport that you're not good at that you wish you were good at? Oh gosh. I'm not very good at any sports, but let me try to narrow my lack of talent down to one. I mean, after watching the winter Olympics the last few years, I wish I was better at curling. And I think my wife wishes I was better at mopping the floors. So maybe if I learned to mop the floors better, I can become better at curling. Because, I mean, that just looks really fun, but I'm not a good curler. I'm not her, so. I, I can say that's one sport I have never participated in either. So I'm with you on that. Okay, <laughs> last question, number five. If you have $5,000 and you got 30 minutes to spend it, where are you spending it at? 
Oh, man. Uh, if I had $5,000 and it had to all be gone in 30 minutes, I think I would spend it at the suit shop getting some fancy bow ties. And they could also be running to um, the prize store, getting some awesome prizes to share with the kiddos at school and probably getting some fancy things for my wife, the little lady, to spoil them. Gotcha. Um, I would probably either be at Costco or Amazon. I think on either one of those would, mm-hmm. would probably give me an opportunity to spend five grand really quick. So I have one bonus question. I always ask this. All right, Ben, if you were hosting the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, who was somebody that you would definitely have on the show to interview? Who would you want to have on the show? I would probably have what I call my Jedi master. I would have Rob Carroll. He was the former principal at South Heights School and Henderson, my professor at USI, when I was doing my leadership uh, program for my master's degree. And he's just full of wisdom. I mean, he's a national model school leader and just does incredible relationship building with kids. So he'd be kind of like my master Yoda. Okay. All right. Well, Jedi, let's make that happen. Make a connection for the two of us and let's, let's get him on the show for us. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, brother. That was five. You got five questions to flip back at me. Go ahead. All righty. You see a student walking up to you in the hallway and maybe it's not a student that you've particularly developed that strong relationship with yet. What's the first thing you tell that kid? I'm going to find, I'm going to always find something to connect with, usually on their outerwear, like their shoes, their clothes, their hair, you know, something. I do the same thing at the register. When I go to Walmart, I'm like, oh, I love those earrings. Or, oh my God, look at those nails or something like that. But I usually, when it's somebody I don't know, I'm looking for something on the outside to connect with usually. That's my go-to. Oh, that's awesome. All right, my next question. If you could eat with three people at a dinner table, and it can be a two or three hour formal dinner, living or dead, who would you want to sit down with? Who are the three influencers you'd want to eat with and talk oh, to? Oh, wow. That's, you give me three. Okay. I'm going to go with my standard. I want to meet, I want to have dinner with Elvis Presley. I grew up as an Elvis fan. I really, really love Elvis. Okay. So we got two others. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Michael Jordan as number two. And then I would love to meet, um, if thinking, uh, there's a uh, third one. I would love to meet uh, Michelle Obama. I'd love to have dinner with that. That'd be a very unique group, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? But, but yeah, I'll go with those three for right now. First three came off the top of my head. Good question. I like it. And third one, if you were the moderator of the next presidential debate, what are some strategies you could use to build relationships across parties to ensure the candidates are more successful at presenting positive reinforcement of their platforms? Wow, Ben, what a question. <laughs> oh, my God. How much time did you think in to develop that one? Oh, gosh, because you're obviously um, prepared. That um, one was honestly not on my list. I just improvised that one. Oh, so wow. That was good. Uh, the spear moved you. I loved it. Um. Man, all I could tell you is knowing what's going on, it's hard, but just like I would do with two difficult kids that I was dealing with conflict or confrontation, I really, really, really would do a lot of what I call preparation before facilitation, right? So I would really get to know each candidate 
on a personal level, more in that GTKY question format, right? So that when we made those connections in person, I could naturally bring those strings and show them how they're connected. I used to do it for kids all the time because, you know, even difficult kids, and it would almost be like you said, the spirit, I'd be like, hey, by the way, you like football? Yeah, what's your favorite team? And they would tell me, you know, and oh, ask a few questions. And then, you know, as I'm interviewing the other kid in preparation, oh, what do you got? Okay. And then I kind of always looked and and somehow magically, sometimes they always aligned in some form or fashion. We're kind of cut from the same cloth. But I think I would spend a lot of time at the beginning reminding them decided besides our political differences how we're really alike so i don't i hope that answered your question but that's typically my format when it comes to dealing with those types of things because believe it or not i've had some kids talking about he said she said stuff that that could rival the presidential debates versus <laughs> i'm right no you're wrong and it's so i i felt like i've been there good question then my next one, what is your motto or catchphrase when you see people and they're like, okay, you're the relationship-centered learning podcast. You've got the, the programs that you're running. What's your kind of catchphrase or motto that you would tell people that uh, you're all about? I'm all about. Um, I, I think, uh, man, that's a really good one. I've got a couple, but I will go with this. I try to tell people up front, look, when I'm bringing relationships to schools primarily, I've learned through experience is I tell them I'm not an expert. I'm experienced. And there's a huge difference. I don't have a doctorate in this. And I'm glad that I don't because I believe some people would see Dr. Curtis and hear my message versus plain old Mr. Curtis, completely different. So along with that message, I just remind them my job today is not to convert you, not to convince you, nor to condemn you. I am strictly here to convict you. Those of you that feel moved after today's presentation that want to consider building relationships right? You will. Those of you that won't will continue to do the same thing. And then I joke at the end, I get paid the same. So you know what? At the end, you know, today is about you. I'm here to motivate you, inspire you, but really convict you. But I think that, that, that as I mentioned, conviction over convincing, condemning, and really um, confl- conflicting with people. I, 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 at the beginning, I used to get really defensive, Ben. I would be like, what do you mean? You, how, how is relationships not going to work? And blah, blah, blah. I would really kind of banter with them. And I, I did not find that that successful. So really, really conviction is just a really, really heart. I go for the heart. And if I can hit you in the heart, great. And if I miss, it's okay. Um, continue to do what you're going to do. And I'm going to support you either way and love you. That's awesome. And I guess my last question for today is 2020 has been a year of ups and downs, but there's been a lot of negativity in the media and especially social media. So I want you to tell me one super awesome, positive thing that has happened to you in 2020. We got to clean away some of this negativity. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that's happened for me personally is it's been a year of growth for me. I have become very self-reflective. So I can't give you an incident. I'm just going to tell you a mindset that's come over me. I had to have vocal surgery in February. I was shut down from speaking for about 10 days. Um, I had some complications coming out of the surgery. I lost the feeling of half my tongue. Um, I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't, uh, food didn't have a taste for me. So there was about four to six weeks where I thought to myself, what if this was going to be the rest of my life? And so I came out with 2020 with a new perspective, even though we were in a pandemic, I thought to myself, I will never take my taste buds nor the ability to speak 
uh, ever for granted. And to me, I know it sounds crazy, but that was like the highlight of 2020 was like, wow, what a huge different perspective that I was able to take away from that, from that struggle of possibly never speaking correctly ever again. Um, so really, really excited the ability to continue to host this podcast and speak with others. And so uh, thank God every day for that ability to still be able to use my voice to connect with others because I'm, I'm thankful for it. So that's what I'm excited about. Excellent. All right. Well, you've had some great questions, some challenging questions. I like that, Ben. You keep me on your toes. You don't ask like, if you had a million dollars, you know, or if you had three things on a deserted island, you know, I hear those. All. So great job. So just like, just like Ben and I did, this is what we do GTKY. This is get to know you. So connections before content. Remember, if you want to know more about connections before content, all you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com. That's rclfirst.com. And we have an opportunity to get GTKY questions. And we have a new opportunity to join our educator circles that are happening on Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, Saturday mornings. If you go to RCL first, look, in the right-hand corner, there'll be a second orange button now. You can click to say, join the circle time. It'll give you a Zoom link. It's free. It's no expectations. You don't even have to know what a circle is. If you want to connect with other educators and you want to feel valued, seen, and heard, here's a great opportunity. So again, head over to our website, check us out for the circles. Now, with that said, let's get into today, Ben. I, to I told you at this at the beginning, man, I, I know about you, but I don't know Ben. I get to see the Jedi uniform. I get to see your crazy workouts. I get to see the things on social media that you post, right? But I need our listeners to know, just in a nutshell, who is Ben, right? Who are you as a person, but who else are you, are you as an educator? So let's just give everybody the 411. Go ahead. I would say as a person and an educator first, I'm a kid that never grew up and I'm a grown up who never forgot the kid in me. I think that's what I would tell people. And I think that's what's missing a lot from education. We're, we're getting into a lot of the teach to the test mindset and standardized testing and things like that. And I know that's important data and growth in our kids is important to measure, but it's also important to have fun. I mean, if I walk into a classroom, the first thing I want to have is I want to have fun or feel relaxed or feel like this is an enjoyable place to be. I can't stand what I call them the zombie classrooms where it's worksheet, 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 worksheet. And I walk in there and I feel like I'm a walking dead person because it just feels dead in there. So I'm all about innovation, getting kids out of desks, doing crazy things, you know, moving and a grooving, putting the, the learning in the body and in music, especially. And just like I said, finding the fun in education. I think that's what's missing. We're, we're so focused on teaching to the test that we're missing the fun side of we're working with kids and they're just amazing little human beings. And we got to have fun with them. Absolutely. So tell, tell the listeners, what are you teaching right now? So that, uh, while you're teaching fun, where are you teaching and what are you teaching? So I'm currently at Delaware Elementary School in Evansville, Indiana, and it's a K-6 school. So I'm their music teacher this year. And with COVID-19, it's a little different. So instead of in the music room, I'm on a little trolley. I call it the musical trolley. So I push a cart all around the building and I go on week rotations to different homerooms. So I'll see a grade level for a week and then they'll see me two or three weeks later again. And we kind of just go around to the different rooms. But it's, it's been innovative. It hasn't been boring. So. so you say this year, what did you teach previously? Previously, I still taught music. I, I was K-6 for, this is my fourth year at Delaware. And then previously, I was at another school, Lincoln Elementary School, uh, or K-8, excuse me, school. And that was four years of K-8 music there. I was also a halftime academic coach my last year there. So I helped support first-year teachers and people struggling with lesson planning and, you know, meeting curriculum goals and learning targets. And then I moved over here to switch back to music temporarily. So what got you, what, what brought you into the, to teaching music? 
I mean, pretty much since I could walk and talk, music's just been in my blood. I mean, I think ever since I popped out of the womb, quite frankly, I was doing something musical because I honestly don't remember when it started. I just remember my parents noticed how musical I was. They really pushed after school music programs and church music on me. And I just remembered loving music, playing instruments, and I could read the treble clef before I could probably form proper sentences, at least I think. I mean, that's how it feels. So it's just kind of in my blood. So I think I always knew deep down I was going to be some sort of musician professionally or teaching. And this is what it's turned into. And it's been amazing. So So outside of teaching, do you perform as a musician or do anything with that talent outside of school? Prior to teaching, I did sing in operas when I was at IU. That's uh, the music school there. I did perform in several of the operatic productions. And those were like full-fledged, staged, crazy expensive productions that we did. And that was wonderful. But I've kind of held off on performing because using a teacher voice, I don't think people realize how taxing that is on the vocal folds. I mean, by the end of the day, my operatic voice is basically drained. Mm-hmm. So people are always asking, why aren't you performing in summer operas or going to, you know, or driving over to St. Louis Opera and doing stuff there with the summer? It's like, I, I need the summer to go on vocal rest. I spend a lot of the summer just resting these things so I can have my voice back in the fall. So I hope to get into performing again if I ever step away from music. But right now, it's like I need to save it all for my falsetto, for modeling for kids, and everything we do in class. Yeah. Well, can I tell you, I will tell you, I never understood the vocal cords nor the strain or anything till I realized um, last fall that I was like, God, after, after I speak even maybe an hour and a half or two hours, I'm losing my voice. And when I went in, then eventually as I, I got a voice coach who was like a singing coach, you, you know, different things. And I will tell you, Ben, I've tried everything. And finally, when I got the examination, they were like, you have polyps and lesions on your vocal cords. We're going to have to go in and remove them surgically and with a laser. And it was so interesting that I, I once you start to really understand the strain and how your vocal cords work and what healthy vocal cords would look and sound like and how to take care of them, speaking for a living, all of a sudden, much like as a singer, I have a, a much more respect and appreciation for what you just described. Because as I mentioned earlier, post-surgery, I was just like, oh my God, I'm never going to speak correctly again with the loss of my tongue. And luckily it was temporary. But I will tell you, um, I, when they said, is it only, you know, since 2015, I've been doing this full time and about 150 days a year. I said, well, think about it. I was a high school football coach for 10 years, Ben. So I probably raised my voice maybe once or twice, right? <laughs> every, every, every minute and then teaching. And so I said, you know, it's maybe it's a culmination of everything that finally got to, to where my vocal cords could not withstand whatever was going on. So just know when you say that, I, I for the first time, can regularly empathize with understanding of why you choose and when you do with your voice. So, all right, I got to ask you this question, though, because you t- I have never been to the opera ever. <laughs> so was it your range or was it so what brought you into the opera? I just I'm just very curious because not... You don't typically meet a lot of people that, that, that choose that path to use their voice. So what was it about opera for you? I mean, I can remember one of the first singers that I ever remembered, um, frankly, hearing over and over again was my mom had a Christmas recording of Luciano Pavarotti, who is a famous Italian singer, singing um, Adeste Fideles, uh, a Latin song, O Come All Ye Faithful. And I heard his voice and I was like, man, it'd be really cool to sing loud and long notes like he does because he could just, you know, Aah! you know, just wail away. And I got into college. I was like, oh my God, I can actually learn how to do this. Like, you know, because there was a musical theater path I could have taken. And I was really tempted by that. And I was like, I don't know. I want to see how powerful my voice can get. And I found a really awesome vocal coach who showed me 
kind of just the true potential that you can reach and how opera really uses the full voice and other forms you have to restrict it or modify or manipulate your voice to get that sound, the jazzy sound or the tune sound you need for the show. But opera is just kind of like your full belly voice, just letting everybody have it. And I was just like, this is great. Let's no, I, 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 I just had to ask. I know our listeners are like, why are we still talking about music? No, I just think it's really encouraging because when you look at it, I remember seeing that person, that gentleman singing, right? Mm-hmm. And they're usually they're, they're larger in statue. And when I look at you, I'm like, I, I, you could have said, hey, Kevin, guess which type of music I like to sing? I, I promise you, when I look at your stature, not that it's, it's an insult, I'm just saying I'm used to seeing <laughs> bigger, boisterous type people. And so to me, it was just really interesting to had to ask Mike. So sorry, listeners, I just had to go there for a second. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so I want you to think about this, because when I work with schools, one of the things I get the most, and I will tell you, and I want to have this conversation with you because of music, is I get the specials teachers, the, the music teachers saying, Kevin, I hear what you're saying, but I only see the kids. And so let's let's not even talk about pandemic right now for a minute. Let's just think normal. They're like, Kevin, I only see the kids X amount of times, once a week or for a short amount of time. In building relationships in that short amount of time is my biggest struggle because I also have to cover music, right? And I only see them for X amount of minutes, 30, 40, 50, whatever it is. And so I only see them periodically. I don't get the, I don't get the advantage of all the other teachers seeing them daily. How have you as a music teacher tried to either overcome that or work through that? I would say, and not to insult the other teachers because I understand their point of view, but to quote Colonel Potter from MASH, I think it's a bunch of horse hockey to say that, uh, you can't build relationships in music. I think it is possible. And I think the mindset of teachers who are all about the music and not about the relationships is they're trying to build professional musicians. And they seem to be under the impression that every person that comes out of my music program is going to continue on to band and orchestra and middle school or high school, or is going to continue on to choir or is going to do something musical. So I really need to focus on the theory and the music. But I think elementary music, especially it's all about building the curiosity of music and the presentation and the performance, the ability to just perform something, if it's musical or whatever. I tell the kids all the time, I want you to be a great performer when you leave here. Not necessarily in music, but if you go to a job interview, you know, because you had confidence playing your ukulele in front of class or singing, you could shake somebody's hand and look them in the eye and say, hey, I could shake your hand for a job interview because I played ukulele in front of all my friends and I didn't screw it up. And they didn't make fun of me because Mr. K was really stringent about building positive culture of positive feedback. So it's all about the curiosity and making the kids just hungry for music. And then you draw them in by building relationships. I mean, I can tell you 90% of what I teach is probably relationships and 10% music. And the music's there and it's a big chunk of my content, but it's so blended in with the relationship piece now. It's almost hard to tell the difference. So I think the kids respect that. Okay, Mr. K. First of all, that's a great, great visual to understand the other aspects of confidence and different things coming out of of those opportunities to participate. I never really thought of it that. That thank you for for connecting those. So, how does Mr. K? What are some examples for our listeners? Because I, I think they want to hear some examples. So, how does Mr. K do that in the classroom so that they don't can't emulate you, but they can learn from you? Possible as another music teacher, or even a regular classroom teacher. What are some ways that you are integrating relationships into your music class? I would say the first thing is you got to listen to the kids and 
try to connect at least once in a while, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it all the time with music they're currently listening to, because like it or not, they're listening to songs on the radio. And if they're not appropriate, then, you know, work through it until you find one that's mostly appropriate and use that to bridge the gap between relationships. One of the best lessons I ever taught was completely improvised. I had a lesson planned. My kids came in and I said, you know what? I've been hearing the song Happier by Marshmallow 50,000 times on the radio. We're going to learn how to analyze a music video and figure out what the song's really about. Because I played Marshmallow for them. I played the song and the kids are like, this is great. I'm like, how many of you know what this is even about? Like, what's the song about? And they wrote predictions on, okay, based on the lyrics, I think Marshmallow's talking about blah, 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 blah. And then we played the music video. And of course, if you haven't seen the music video, I, I suggest you watch it before you show it to the kids. It's not inappropriate for school, but it is a powerful social and emotional trigger. And by the end of the video, people were crying and looking over the work saying, I had no idea this is what the song really meant to me, or this is what it's about. And I learned so much about my kids. And yeah, there are a lot of them tearing up by the end, but it was a powerful story because Marshmallow wrote it about a, a good friend of his that passed away. And he said, it's about building relationships because you never know when those relationships could disappear. And essentially, after the song was over, and the video kind of shows a girl who gets a dog from her dad for her birthday. She's bullied. She's traumatized by people in her school. And the dog's kind of her only go-to for comfort. The dog passes away. And when she gets older, she buys her daughter a dog because she remembers the social and emotional connection she had to hers growing up. And when the dog dies, you know, I had so many of my kids telling me about pets they had lost, about relatives they had lost, and how they appreciated me caring enough to talk about, you know, just the grieving process that I never knew about. I mean, it just opened up so much. And the kids had such a respect for music after that. And it was just me playing a music video and asking a couple of questions. And they were just, yeah, wow. no. Wow. And isn't that crazy how sometimes the, the deepest, best lessons, like you said, sometimes they're off cuff, but sometimes they're not with that intentionality. And all of a sudden that's the outcome. I, I, I love that part of teaching when you don't really see the outcome, you kind of know the direction you're going. So other than, and that's a great example. Thanks for sharing that, Ben. So how on a lighter surface, how do you like GTKY with your kids when they're first coming in or, or during the class, how do you integrate some just get to know you opportunities as a music teacher? I mean, the first few days, like we'll play games like Tea Truths and a Lie. They always love that one. Or we'll play a musical game where I'll be like, well, I'll invite them up to the class and I'll play songs from the radio again to integrate some of their music or just 10 second clips from the radio that are school appropriate. And I'll say, hey, you just got back from summer break. You got 10 seconds to draw on a whiteboard. Something awesome you did for the summer. We have to try to figure out what it was. And of course, they think that's great because nobody can draw good in 10 seconds. And I always start and they're like, you're terrible at this. Don't ever be an art teacher. And I'm like, I know that's why I'm a music guy. And it's just silly little ways where we can laugh at each other and understand situations where it's okay to laugh and make fun of, you know, not that in a hurtful way, just to be silly. And then it gets them talking about themselves because once you get them laughing and relaxed, they're more susceptible to opening up about who they are as opposed to, you know, locking them in the room and saying, okay, here's a worksheet. These are 10 get to know you questions. Fill these out before we leave or else, you know, right. it's enough. Absolutely. So do you feel like, as a music teacher, do you feel like sometimes you have an advantage because music is such a beautiful canvas to, I mean, you, you open so many more doors. Like I taught, I taught science. And so I could use science in the real world for a lot of conversations that would go down some bunny trails, you know, rabbit <laughs> trails. And so do you feel like there is an advantage as a music teacher to, to getting to connect with kids that maybe the regular content teachers don't have? You ever thought of it that way? I would say 
one advantage is I get to fly under the radar a little bit more. So I get to have more time to build relationship with kids because like I said, I don't have, I mean, I have curriculum maps I need to follow in my district, but I don't have a standardized test right now for music. So I don't have data coaches and people breathing down my neck saying, Hey, did you teach this target? Did you do this? Did you do this? And I think sometimes homeroom teachers or music teachers feel pressured in situations where there is testing or potential testing for those subjects because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I got people breathing down my neck. If I'm a high school music teacher, they're breathing down my neck about contest, about solo and ensemble, about marching band competitions, and they don't have a minute to breathe and focus on those relationships. But I'd say I do have a slight advantage because I know music just speaks to everybody. I mean, the kids tell me and I, I, I tell people it's the language of the soul. It, it, it really can describe who you are. And some of my kids will tell me that, my, you know, I, I think songs on the radio talk about me better than I can talk about myself. So... No, I agree. I think there there are times when I have don't even realize it that a song will elicit a, a certain emotional response that I didn't even know I needed <clears throat> until it came on. So when you think about the students that you have worked with over the years and you think about the relationships. And so again, I will kudos because I can only tell you my reality. And I can't say all, but a majority of my music teachers and other special teachers are usually struggle with the fact that they don't have the time. So it's interesting how you see time different because they're like, Kevin, you know, I get him for X amount of minutes and I only see him once a week. And I, and I've still got, like you said, I got to get ready for the, uh, the, the Christmas choir show or whatever it is in, in elementary. And so, you know, I, I, I've, tried to help them in the past. And this is how I worked because I, I have never taught music. And the only thing I guess I taught as far as like, I did teach PE for a while at the very beginning of my career. So an elective, but, and never at the elementary, always at the secondary bin. But what I would try to tell them is, is I said, I don't know. I told them, I said, I don't know if you know how football coaches work, but football coaches work in five minute increments. And so 12 periods for us is one hour. And so what I would tell them is, is, and we know what we're doing every five minutes. So five minutes, we're warming and stretching. That would be period one, period two, and three. We're working individual period. And I, we would break it down in five minute increments. And I would tell the teachers sometimes, even at the elementary and secondary music teachers, I would say, look at your 45 minutes as nine periods. And so I said, think about it as segments. So therefore, what if you spent the first five minutes right? The first period of, of your one, one or your first 10 minutes, whatever it is, and you were investing in just GTKY with the kids. Now, the hard part has been is I don't tell them what to do. I, like you say, hey, how can you take your subject matter or your curriculum, aka music, and connect with your kids in the first 10 minutes? I said, so then you have the rest of that time of that 35 minutes to work on whatever you want to do for your Christmas performance, choir practice, whatever it is, right? Or just for the lesson of the day. And for some of them, time, just breaking it down like that was more digestible than just telling them, figure it out. Like, you know, just build relationships with kids, like just get to know them. I think for some people, their mind had to think like, how do I actually build this into my classroom? Because unfortunately, not every educator feels comfortable in doing it. And so I think sometimes um, structuring it for some works better than others. What are your thoughts on that when I, the way I explained it to some of those music teachers? I absolutely agree. And I think it goes for any teacher in general. Um, we were studying a book recently by James Clear, Atomic Habits. And James Clear mentions that if you're building a new habit, and in this case, let's say the habit is building social emotional learning or relationship building into your classroom. 
He says the best way to kind of train a new habit is make it doable. And he says, start out with like a two minute habit. So maybe first two minutes of my lesson, we do a minute of mindful breathing. And I ask a students a question about their day. Like, how's your day going? Just keep it simple and allow a few students to personally connect with you and share how things are going in the classroom. Maybe have some discussion after two minutes, you move on. And then what I would do is I would build that habit longer and longer until, you know, that five minutes of your lesson, it doesn't feel like five minutes at all. It feels like five, you know, purposeful minutes. And, you know, by the end of the five minutes, you're like, ma'am, I have to move on to music already. Are you sure? I'm just getting to the relationship stuff. Come on. So. <laughs> well, I, I love the, I love what you just said that my takeaway was those five purposeful minutes for me, Ben, that's been one of the most difficult parts of, of getting people to digest that because, and, and again, I'm just, I, I use my coaching background, right, Ben? So when I, just like you in music, when I was coaching a sport, I had to get them to understand I don't have five minutes of downtime. There is no five minutes. Like, and, and in football, a lot of times football coaches, they'll actually have a horn that goes off every five minutes to tell you when the period is changing. Cause you may be all spread out on a football field. Right? So in my car and I look at it and after that five minutes, I'm going on to the next five minute drill or skill or whatever it is. Like I had five minutes to cover that. So I don't have any downtime. Everything, every minute was purposeful. So I, I say that because it was easy for me to take the same concept when I was coaching another sport or teaching a subject. So I taught integrated physics, biology, and chemistry, mostly science, secondary science. I took the same approach and said, hey, okay, I've got a 45-minute class. It's nine periods. I'm going to make sure that I cover this, this, and this. And so when you say purposeful and you mentioned thinking about the atomic habits, so that's why it was really important when we, I know you haven't been to any of our trainings, but what we created, Ben, is we created three tools, a 60-second relay break, a two-minute connection, and a 90-second spark. Notice that all three tools are less than two minutes. And you just said, hey, take two minutes, take two minutes, which is why when we determined the times for our tools, we were very intentional and purposeful in the amount of time we took because a lot of teachers, not just music teacher, every teacher, their first barrier that I always hear to building relationships is T-I-M-E. Always. It's the number one obstacle that we always deal with. And you know what's so funny, Ben, is at a training sometimes I'll say, hey, what are some of the things we're dealing with? They're like, oh, time, you know, this content, all this. And I'm like, oh, time. I'm like, you know what? I Did I not tell you? Your school board yesterday approved that you guys get an hour lunch moving forward. And I said, they're like, oh my, and I said, but you just have to give up 30 minutes of your instructional day. They're like, that's okay. And I said, wait a minute, you just gave up 30 minutes instruction like that. Like you didn't even hesitate. And I said, see, time is all in perspective, as you just said, purposeful, right? But I know if I'm getting an hour lunch versus 30 minutes of, of downtime, oh, that's completely different. And so they start laughing. I said, because time is all what you put it up in here. And I love what you're saying is as long as it's purposeful. So when you hear that, any, any thoughts on that? I just think... Yeah, I mean, I agree, it, especially this year with how our schedules have just rapidly changed and evolved, like almost daily with health department information coming out and COVID-19 protocols coming out. I understand that time is very flexible this year, but I would say you have to make the relationship building inflexible. And they really stressed that in our district this year, and I wholeheartedly believe it. And I've told my administrators, I would rather focus most of the rotations on social emotional learning, especially this year, because our kids are so traumatized by this right. pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. Then focus strictly on music and the music will come, but you got to think how much music is going to filter through, how much theory is filtering through the traumatized brains right now. When we're all just like, you know, we have relatives in the hospital with COVID-19 or I know somebody on the news, you know, we heard just passed away from it again. So how much of that traumatic brain is really absorbing all of that theory? I mean, is it important that a kid knows what a quarter nut is this year or is it a kid, important that the kid feels loved and cared for in the school setting? Absolutely. Well said. Now, I will throw something out at you, Ben. And you may have heard me say this in our men's group or something, but I will throw something out. Now, when I look at social emotional learning, I feel like, as we've all acknowledged, particularly coming back mid-pandemic, our students' needs have grown more than they ever were pre-pandemic. In social-emotional learning, I am so thankful that Castle developed this and it's become a foundation and so many schools are reaching for it. Now, with that said, here's what I also point out. The way that social-emotional learning is brought to our schools is in a lesson-based curriculum. So I just remind people that lesson-based curriculums blend relationships What I stand on is a pedestal of building relationships. And the reason I say that is I believe there's a differentiation between the two. I would love to see schools build a foundation of relationships and then blend that content on top of it about social emotional needs. So I make this very clear. I've said this in my blogs. I'm not anti-social emotional learning. I believe sometimes we're grabbing to it too fast, too soon. And we haven't even really gotten a chance to know each other before we can talk about empathy or community or trauma or any of these other deeper, darker you know, topics that, that we're all experiencing. That's why I'm urging schools, Ben, to focus on, can we just GTKY first? Just can we get a chance to know each other before we talk about race or diversity or culture or trauma or how I'm feeling? Can we at least get to know each other before we take that deeper dive into those some of those SEL needs? So, again, I want to make this very clear. I'm not anti-SEL. I am really, my hashtag is RCL before SEL. What if we could just get to know each other and then when we bring that content, that lesson-based curriculum of social-emotional learning on top of that, think of the stronger foundation, building our school on a rock of relationships instead of the sand of initiatives. What are your thoughts when you hear that? And I totally agree. I mean, there's just a lot I would love to share with my students, but they've got to know me and I've got to know them. And that's why I'm dressing like a Jedi today. I mean, I've still got my, my Jedi robes on and the kids are like, why are you dressed like a Jedi? I'm like, well, it's getting into October. It's that time of the year where, uh, you know, historically referral days starts to go up. Like I've, I've seen our records the last seven or eight years. It's typically October is the highest month for referrals, like usually building wide or district wide or just in general, because that's when we're at the max of stress. So I said the stress load's high and the Jedi, the first line of the Jedi code is there's no motion, there's peace. And so I taught them today, the first five minutes of my class wasn't music. I said, you know, Jedi are masters of social emotional learning in that they feel emotions, they get angry, they get upset, they get furious, but instead of blowing up at somebody and doing something they regret, they do mindful meditation and breathing, they take a few seconds to find their calm, and once they know they're more centered, they approach it calmly and with a solution that's going to work for the betterment. We talked about an example, what if somebody bought, you know, takes something away from you without permission? You can hit them, and then when they're lying on the floor after you hit them, 
you know, what are you going to feel? And all the students were like, well, I probably feel pretty powerful at the moment. Then I'd probably feel like I'm in trouble or like I'm regretful, or I might even be sad with myself for hurting somebody else. I said, exactly. I was like, so what a Jedi does is before they stand up and haul off on somebody, they take a deep calming breath and they just relax. And they think, what is the positive solution to this? Can I tell a respectful adult in the room who's in more of an authority position than me, you know, how to handle the situation? Can I respond peacefully to the situation or am I just going to make it worse? And so we just did mindful breathing and we talked about that. And the kids were like, this is relatable and you even look like a Jedi. So I believe you. Well, so I saw, yeah, I saw your post about what you were wearing. And so um, I just have to segue. So a, a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, my, my goal is to write an educational book on tying in Star Wars with either social emotional learning or other things down the road. So, okay. Oh, that'd be awesome. So, well, I loved how you just tied it in. So I don't know if you've ever heard me refer to this. So we've called October in the past Shocktober. Shocktober is, I, I did a whole little solo episode on it because as you've pointed out, this is where most school districts, and again, this was all pre-pandemic. I, when somebody mentioned it was in September when I posted it, they said September, uh, shock timber, I think is what they called it because it was September. And I realized that the whole school year seems like a, a, a pandemic, you know, October is Shocktober. But what I recognize the same things you just pointed out, Ben, is that referrals go up, anxieties go up, uh, morale seems to drop. Um, you know, I was joke. I liked Ben in August, but now in October, I don't like him as much. You know, there's just these, there's certain walls that we hit into and we haven't had a break. You have Halloween. There's a lot of things, but, but I, I have felt it. And so what we've encouraged schools to do, and again, this is all pre-pandemic, but we've said, what is going to be your Shocktober plan? Because if Shocktober comes every year, like you said, look at the data, look at your district data. It's And, and that's why I laugh. Everybody has a data. For some schools, it's November if they start later, whatever. But the whole point is you have these high points, right? But if it comes every year, do you want to survive it or do you want to slay it? So we created these t-shirts, Ben, that said, we slayed Shocktober. And I bought them for every staff at every school if a principal turned in a Shocktober plan to me. And I didn't, I, I didn't like hold them accountable. I was just like, so what are you going to do with your staff? In other words, this is when you need to connect more, as you just pointed out. You need to connect with your staff. You need to connect with your kids. This is when you got to have more affirmations. This is when you got to have more sparks, more positive things. More, you got to counteract those waves of Shocktober with something. And, and I told him, I said, I don't think you can ever create a, or reduce the waves in, in general. It's never going to be flat, but it's just going to be more of a roll than a big up and down swing of, of the month. What's your thought when you hear Shocktober? I think the best way to to beat Shocktober is to shock them back with embracing the time of the year. I mean, there's a reason I'm dressed like a Jedi. There's a reason like, I have my Batman mask in the background and, you know, I've got that impression ready to go. Because you can just embrace the culture of the holiday or you could just lag behind. And I mean, we even read ghost stories at the end of class. And I'll tell you, nothing gets a class more ready to behave and just ready to learn than a ghost story. You know, as soon as I pull out the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and I say, we're going to end the class, and I'm going to stop three minutes early and read you a ghost story, it's it's a perfect class. And then at the end, I put a fake campfire from YouTube on the board, and I pretend like I'm missing the Boy Scouts like I was 20 years ago, and I read them one of the stories. And sometimes I do the little jump scare ones, and if I jump scare somebody, I give them a piece of Witch's Brew Kit Kat bars, and I say, sorry, no hard feelings. And, you know, it's okay, Mr. K, it's all good fun. And then they joke about it, like, you scared it real bad. But you got to embrace it. 
we got to shock them back. If they're going to shock you, shock them back. And so they're so enjoying their environment, they can't misbehave because they're like, this is too great. Absolutely. All right. So, Ray, I will, I will play the other side of the coin. So what happens when you hear an educator that says, that will never work? Or I don't have time for that. Or, you know, that's just a waste of time. When you hear those types of things from what you just said, because I'm going to tell you, the one thing I, I know is I've heard it all. I, I hear a lot of the positives, but I also hear the negatives. So, you know, Ben, there's going to be a listener out there that says, oh, that's great for Ben, right? But that's not me. Or that don't, that'll never work. Or I don't know how he has time for that. What do you, when you hear those naysayers to what you just described about reading a story, campfire, all this stuff, what, do you, what is your message to them, Ben? I would say if you're struggling to find time for anything, relationship building or whatever it is, pacing, 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 go back to kind of the basics, look at your lesson plans and kind of like you were talking about coach, every five minutes have a plan for something. I see every lesson as six or seven or eight mini lessons within a lesson. So I know every five minutes, my brain's going to go switch something else, switch something else. And it took me a couple of years to get that down, but it's at the point where we can do six or seven or eight activities in a 40 minute music class and the kids will just, just expect it because they're like, oh, we know how he works. Every five minutes, something new is going to happen. And honestly, I think that helps build relationships and it keeps your kids learning. If your pacing is so sluggish where it takes you 40 minutes to do one thing and 40 minutes to do another thing, that's where people get lost. And I'd say really go back to your planning and figure out, are you incrementing those time increments? I mean, if you need to physically write it down, like at eight o'clock to 8.05 today, I'm doing my relationship-centered learning. At 8.05 to 8.10, we're going to pull out our DMR for math. And you really just have to get it down until it's a science and you can just roll. And then other excuses people tell me are, I can't wear costumes like you. That costs a ton of money. This Jedi wrote this is normally an $80 costume, $5 on Facebook Marketplace. You just got to look for the deals, $5. And you know what? It bought $5 worth of smiles. I had people so confused. Kids were like, are you Harry Potter? I'm like, do I look like Harry Potter to you? Well, no, but you're wearing robes like they do at Hogwarts. And then I got to teach them about Star Wars. And now they all want to go home and watch Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. It's good stuff that I had parents driving by. Jedi! You know, it's great. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> no, Ben. See, that's why That's why I told you. I, I said, I got to have you on your show. Your energy is infectious. So I got to ask you a question because Joe Beckman always talks about, well, what if I can't be like Mr. K, right? In other words, I don't have his personality. So when Joe, Joe and I on episode one started talking about, he said, Kevin, what if everybody can't be extraordinary? What if it's just trying to be ordinary? Because being ordinary means... You're vulnerable, and and not and, and and that's what we were really talking about is is to be vulnerable with kids. Some people are more comfortable than others, and I would say not not the masses. That would be the minorities, right? So, have you ever found a a time where you have been vulnerable with your kids, and it's and it's benefited you? Do you have an example or of a story where that's happened, Ben? Oh gosh. Um... I would say one of the things I did in Shocktober, starting about five or six years ago, was I was thinking, I was like, here I am teaching kids music and teaching them how to sing. And I hadn't performed for a while, like we were talking about. I was like, I don't even perform anymore. I need to perform for my kids because, you know, it's kind of a put up or shut up situation. You know, this okay. kid's teaching me how to sing. So Halloween, uh, about six or so years ago, I started dressing up as the Phantom of the Opera. And I came into class and I actually performed music of the night from Phantom of the Opera for the kids. And it was definitely a shocking experience because they're like, oh, when you said you knew how to sing, 
I didn't know that's what singing was to you. Like to me, singing is, you know, you're rhyming along the lyrics because a lot of my kids, they love hip hop. There's nothing wrong with that. I tell them hip hop is great because it's the most honest art form of music out there. Am I going to listen to it in class? No, because, you know, every other word is beep, 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 beep. But I love how honest it is. But they were just like, I, I didn't know when you said performing. And I had people crying. I had kids just with draws on the ground saying, I've never heard music performed that way because they don't hear opera or musical theater that often. And it brought up a relationship building conversation of what it is and what my craft is and what, you know, how it compares to what they listen to. And it was vulnerable for me because the first time I went in there, I'm like, I haven't performed for a couple of years. I don't know how this is going to sound. I don't know if they're going to make fun of me and trash talk me on the playground. Like <laughs> that guy, that doofus in music, you know, singing like he was. And they dug it up, and now every year, where's the Phantom costume? Are you wearing it yet? Is it Halloween yet? Are you going to sing to everybody again? Huh? So you just got to be vulnerable. You got to be afraid and not be afraid to be stupid or make a mistake in front of your kids or just lay yourself out there. If you're your full, honest self for your kids, they're going to be their full, honest selves for you. Yeah. You know, and, and Joe gave us that uh, forward tool. He said, you know, if you don't know how to be ordinary, think about either talking about your family, an occupation, a recreation, or a dream, right? And everybody's, at least it gave us some categories to think about. So it's interesting because much like why I took a minute or two to dive, in, to dive into opera for you, just like the kids, because when they see you perform, Ben, they see you ordinary, but they get to see a different side of their teacher and specifically, you know, when it is something like opera now, not only are you engaging them into who you are as a person, you're opening their eyes to, to even that the opera exists in their world, right? And I mean, and it doesn't have to be opera. If you're not a singer, I mean, one lesson I can remember, I could tell my kids were all over the place, were unfocused, so I shut it down. And I said, you know, we don't talk about your ambitions enough. And I just shut music down for the day. I said, let's talk about what you want to be when you grow up and why. Like, what motivates you to be what you want to be? And we just had conversations. They would ask me questions about, did you really want to be a teacher growing up? Is this what you had off? And I was like, honestly, no. I started out wanting to be a professional performer, an actor in Hollywood. At one point in college, I wanted to switch into the law school and become a lawyer or a politician. So I said, I was kind of all over the place. So I was like, I'm where you guys are at. You know, if you ask me what I want to be tomorrow, it's like, well, I am a music teacher today. But tomorrow, you know, maybe I'll have a new idea that crops up. So I said, you know, you got to get used to existence as an ever-changing thing. Just because you pick one career path doesn't mean you're cemented in there for life or because you pick one habit, you're stuck with that habit for forever. And it was a great opportunity to talk to kids about that. So and I remember that lesson still and just all the powerful stories from kids. So earlier you asked me a question like, you know, if I had to, uh, you know, if I met a kid in the hallway for the first time. So have you ever had a situation where you had to deal with, let's say, say student's behavior and you had to use the relationship as kind of the pivoting point to kind of help you deal with that student's behavior? You ever, do you have an example or a story surrounding that? I, I remember one. It was just a student who, thankfully, I had taken the time to get to know and I realized that the home situation was just tremendous. And I think people don't realize that trauma displays in kids, you're seeing the 10% of the iceberg on top. You're not seeing the 90% under the water. And with this student, connecting him with music and especially with an instrument, when I put a recorder in his hands, his life changed and his behavior changed in music. And then he ended up joining band in middle school and just killing it and doing a great job. But he had a lot of trouble focusing in music. And eventually I was like, I got to put an instrument in his hands. He's always fidgeting. He's always drumming on the tables and stuff. Maybe I just give him something to play. And when we got to fourth grade recorders, I mean, he was one of the best ones in the room. And he just needed something physically to play. He wasn't a singer. 
And when I first started teaching, I was like one of those music teachers is like, all my kids going to be singers. They all going to be professional singers or on American Idol. And I'm glad I got out of that mindset because that was just a terrible way to run the class. As soon as I started paying attention to the cues and the signs he was giving me and I stuck an instrument in his hand, boom, a leader of the band and orchestra in middle school. His band director kept telling me how proud of him he was. And I was like, man, this is not the same kid I saw. Holy cow. And I was just thrilled. Absolutely. Well, I, I think sometimes, I think for me, when I talk to students specifically, Ben, it always comes back to, they say, there was this one teacher that paid attention. That's like, it's like, I use that as an example, right? But then in other words, they always say, well, you know, I was struggling one day and this teacher just said, hey, I noticed something's off or something. But it's always about, I hear the biggest breakthroughs are when somehow you you pay attention enough to realize that there's something, as you said, beneath the surface. And I, I believe that a good educator that's in tune with their students, even the difficult ones, right? Because it's hard to imagine, Ben, but have you ever had a student that you just struggled to be successful with? Have you ever had that? I've had quite a few, to be honest. And it's just... I think, like I said, it was in the initial part of my career when my mindset was all based on vocal music and I just come from the vocal department that I use. So I was like, okay, I'm going to train them all to be vocalists. And when I was in that narrow mind, that narrow field of music, you okay. know, it just wasn't getting me anywhere. And eventually when I expanded my thinking that, you know, singing is not the only career in music and explored all the other potentials out there. And even just the potential to teach kids to perform, like I said, in job interviews or how to stand up and feel confident in front of a crowd or even just a few people. That's what helped bring a lot of kids around. And I still have a few that struggle with music, but I just try to feel them out and try to figure out what's different. You know, maybe you're not a good singer, but maybe you're good at writing songs. So we do a unit on songwriting and I try to tie that into that particular kid. Or maybe you're not good at the songwriting. Maybe you're really good with poetry and you're really awesome in ELA. So maybe you're really good at writing lyrics. So when we group kids together, I say, hey, you're going to write the lyrics to the song. And then that kid's suddenly like, hey, okay. So it's just you know, adapting to the kids and not staying with the same lesson plans. I mean, I know some teachers that just copy paste every year. They're like, okay, I did this last year. Let's do the same thing again next year. I did the well, same sure. thing last it's, year. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I was there for a little while in science. It's easier, right? Oh yeah. So let me ask you a question though, Ben. So you just said, I started out that way, but here I am now. What helped you flip? What made, was it a, was it a person? Was it an incident? Was it just time maturity? What was something that you credit for your growth and your maturity as becoming the educator that you are now? I think it was just working with a lot of colleagues, especially at Lincoln school, the first building I worked at, um, especially on um, Miss Sidebottom, where's her name was our kind of a, a behavior coach or behavior specialist. I think she was called our professional development coordinator. And she kind of worked with me and just taught me that, you know, you got to have the relationships first and the music's going to come along with it. And just building fun activities to build relationship with kids and still enjoy being around them, but then kind of expanding my horizons on music doesn't have to just be this. It can be this, 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 and this. And I think part of it was self-discovery, but it was uh, mature adults being wise enough to tell me, hey, this isn't the way to do it. You got, you got to change your ways, man. So isn't it, isn't it ironic, though, Ben, that you, along, I would say, a majority of educators, don't hear that message sooner than later? 
In other words, we don't talk this much in college preparation or teacher readiness or alternative certification or any of that stuff, right? I, I, I you wouldn't believe out of the twenty thousand educators that we have that we've crossed paths with over the last five years, you wouldn't believe how many people said, "God, I wish this was. I wish I'd have known this sooner," or somebody could have talked to me about this mindset when I was student teaching or earlier in my career or just sooner than later. Do you ever feel like sometimes? In education, just like the just like the kids, there's an overemphasis on content or preparation in so many other areas that sometimes the relationship building part of teaching kind of gets either glazed over, overlooked. What's your thoughts on that? I've never asked this question. I'm interested. I I totally agree, and I kind of shake my head because I mean I loved my education growing up, but I didn't take a single behavior. I, I mean, I think they called it behavior management, but I didn't take a single class on climate and culture, relationship building with kids. I mean, I was fully prepared to teach music when I left school. I was not fully prepared to teach kids. Ooh, well, said, well, well said. Well, no, I think that's, I think what you just said is really powerful, right? I'm prepared to teach kindergarten. I'm prepared to teach music. I'm prepared to teach science, right? Like I'm prepared to teach my content or my grade level, but am I prepared to teach kids? I, I think every person says, you know, student teaching gave me a semblance of it. And I always laugh because they always say, you know, so what's your, what's your philosophy on classroom management? I'm like, whatever they wrote down in that paper, no, it doesn't matter. Close the door, put 22 bodies in that room and shut the door. And now you are fully responsible. Then, then you'll figure out your classroom management. Then you'll figure out your style. Then you'll figure out like those pieces. I mean, do you feel like that's accurate? for those people that are either coming into education or, or figuring it out? I would say so. And I'm just grateful to my super, uh, student teaching supervisor because she was one of those who also opened my eyes and said, look, I know they haven't prepared you for a lot of this at school. This is the reality. And I'm glad I taught in a building that wasn't absolutely perfect. I mean, it was a building similar to the one I work in right now where there's all kinds of just one, you know, interesting, unique experiences that happen. And I got to see those with kids and she was very good at coaching me through you know, okay, you're ready for the music part, but you got to do this, 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 if you want to be successful with any of the music. And she's like, you've got to have procedures. You've got to have plans. Kids have to know where to sit, how to sit, and just how to function. I mean, you got to build that relationship with them before they're going to sing a perfect song for you. So Absolutely. So do you feel like growing up, was that ever modeled to you by any other teachers? Do you, do you ever recall and kind of go back and say, God, I, I I really remember the time this teacher built a relationship with me. So therefore, it's something that you kind of pull forward into today to who you are. Did you ever have any of those relationship building moments with your teachers in the past? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd say my first one was uh, Mrs. Krieger, I believe is her name, Krieger. I think I'm pronouncing that right. In second grade at Horizon Elementary School in Granger, Indiana, she was the first one who kind of dug in. And it wasn't all about the content. Like she knew I was really into ocean animals and things. So a lot of the lessons, I remember a lot of the content were tailored around the ocean. I don't think that was specifically for my benefit. But, you know, she brought in a bunch of stuff that was more meaningful to me. And she was very good at connecting with all of us. I mean, I remember she planned things specifically so that everybody in the room felt included kind of in her lessons. And she was, I, I still have her picture on my fridge back home in Granger, Indiana. I mean, I live down here now, but if I go visit my parents, you know, it's still on the fridge and I still smile at it and go, you know, she was the first lady to really get me, to take the time to get me instead of just trying to teach me. She got me. She didn't teach me. 
She didn't teach you. She got you, right? She tried. She took the time to understand who Ben was as a person, right? Yes, sir. Even in second grade. That's, isn't it crazy? Because I've, I've worked in a variety of different settings. And I always tell people, we were in the high school one time. And these were, I think, juniors and seniors. And we were having a conversation. And, it, and now this group has built community. So I always want to make this very clear. So lots of GTKY throughout the year. This was later in the year. But we were having a conversation class-wide. And we were actually in a community building circle. And one of the juniors or seniors had said, hey, if you could have a teacher be in your shoes for the next 24 hours, who would be that teacher and why? And it was interesting, Ben, that all these upperclassmen in high school, and, and, and maybe it was just this select group, but all of them picked elementary teachers. Nothing against middle school, nothing against high school, but I thought it was so like outside the box that every single, and there was like 26 students, that they all picked elementary. Now, they, you know, you could have modeled the first one, picked elementary, and so they could have just went there. But all I know is, is I always say, you know, it, it put elementary in perspective. For me, I became an assistant principal at the elementary, and that was my only elementary experience, Ben. And what I would tell you is I struggled at first coming from the secondary at the high school, going down the elementary. But after spending two years there, I get it now. I know why those students, I know why those students picked elementary teachers, because some of our most uh, shaped years of who we are being seen as a person happened in elementary before they happened in secondary at times. And so, you know, I always thank elementary teachers, Ben, for what they do, because I do believe that they lay the foundation for a student's success later in life. And so what are your thoughts when you think about those formative elementary years being some of the most pivotal shape, shaping moments for some of our kids in, in, in schools? completely agree. I think it's kind of, <laughs> it's the time when the Play-Doh is the smoothest and you can mold it the best because if you leave it out of the case too long, you know what happens to that Play-Doh. It starts to get hard and it starts to crack. And I mean, that's what we see in middle school. You know, some of our kids that don't get that relationship, they start to get hard. They start to become more kind of closed off from the world. And then in high school and they're like, oh my gosh, this is getting real. I'm about to graduate and get into this real world called life. That's when they start to crack and snap and we see dropout rates go up and we see people just depressed and stressed because they didn't have that growing up. So I think it's really good to hit those relationships home and mold them when they're young and teach them that it's okay to be goofy and silly and to be yourself because we're still going to love you and appreciate you no matter what. And we're still going to educate the heck out of you. Absolutely. So Ben, I see you work out a lot all the time. So, so talk to me a little bit. About what is your personal goals? Like you, 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 I won't say religiously, but you structured your workouts and very intentional. I want to know you a little bit about how do you maintain that motivation while you're teaching in the middle of this pandemic? What are some of your outlets that you're, I want to, I want the listeners to kind of know what is your structure? Like, what do you, how do you, how do how do you keep it all together? I mean, I just, I'm a night owl by nature. So I wait till the family's asleep. And if it's one of those nights where I'm like, I'm restless, I can't sleep. My mindset's, I can get healthier and live longer, or I can just lay here like a slug and play a video game. And it's like, I've been doing that all through my teenage years. And it didn't get me anywhere. It got me fatter and slower. But, you know, if I go to the gym, I'm going to get buffer and stronger. And one of the biggest motivators for me is I've cut out caffeine completely. I don't drink soda. I don't drink coffee. I, I drink high quality H2O. I've already killed off my 90 ounce bottle of water for today. And, 
if I don't have those endorphins now, then I just am so sluggish because it's like nature's caffeine. That's my only source of energy is either my positive attitude or the endorphins from the gym. So it's like, if I go too long between a workout, you can tell it's like you, you took away the coffee from the break room at work. You know, I'm like a zombie. So part of that is the motivation, but I just want to be healthier. I want to be proud of myself. I want to be strong for my wife and especially my daughter to teach her what strength looks like and sounds like. And I don't want to be part of the obesity epidemic going around the country. I don't want to be part of that. I want to be different. So, and so, I want to so, stay positive. Yeah, no, I'm with you because I will tell you, I drink water too. And I'm much like you. Some people are like, you don't drink coffee or caffeine. And I'm like, no. And they're like, where does this natural energy come from? I'm like, it's positivity. I mean, it truly is. It's it's the love and the passion for what I do. And so it's amazing because pre-pandemic, when I would be in live person trainings, Ben, they would be like, holy cow, you don't drink coffee because I always share that note. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, I don't do caffeine like that. And occasionally, it maybe every once in a while I'll do a soda, but it's not one of those like, I just avoid it. But I don't do them on a regular basis. So they're like, but we just watched you for 90 minutes to your introduction and it's over the top. I'm like, that's just all natural. So when you say that, I definitely feel that. But so for teachers, how in the middle of this pandemic, how are you finding balance in your life? I would say you just got to find balance in every moment possible. I would say as far as work, I, I mean, I like now that I've been in this game seven or eight years, I kind of have everything planned out. I know what I'm going to do. So I, I have things planned out. I try to get all my work done before I go home. I make sure I leave early enough where I can spend lots of time with my wife and daughter and have that social emotional time at home and that relationship building with my family. And then just find those times to read, to, to work out, even if you can't do a whole lot. I mean, one of my goals is to try to do 100 push-ups a day every day starting next year. I haven't been so great this year, but even if it's just two minutes, like James Clear says in Atomic Habits, if I do two minutes of 25 or 50 push-ups, I'm healthier 50 push-ups later than I was not doing them at all. So if it's two minutes here where you read a book and you say, I'm going to read three pages of my book a night and then put it down, you know, after so many days, you're going to get through the book eventually. So at least you've read a book. So take okay. those little times. All right. I love it. So uh, before we close out the show, I will say this um, book or any other resource, what's something that you would recommend to educators right now that you would be like, if I could share a book resource podcast, which is something, give our listeners something that, that could improve their lives as educators. Oh, well, I think Atomic Habits has been heavily advertised by me, not intentionally, but I would say that one's been a good one for me by James Clear. So building those things to make you 1% better every day. And I would say, honestly, getting on Disney Plus, getting on Hulu and keeping up with the kids on their kids shows. You want to build a relationship with the kids, watch the newest episode of SpongeBob SquarePants so you can talk about the next day of at school or play the little Einstein's Trap remix off of YouTube for lunch today. I played that at lunch today. All the kids were dancing. They're like, I remember this show growing up. And I'm like, me too. And I found the Trap remix because it's just really sick. Let's listen to this. So just find those little ways to connect with kids and uh, pay attention to your daughter or your son. If you got a younger child and they're telling you, I want to watch Doc McStuffins, sit and watch it with them and actually pay attention. And you'll be surprised when you say, I watched Doc McStuffins with my daughter. How many of your kids are like, oh my God, I let you know. And then you can just open so many doors to relationships. Pay attention to all the little stuff. That's another thing. Well, there you go. So Ben, any other than that, any other closing words for our audience of something we didn't get a cover that you'd love to share with them today? 
just be yourself, be true to yourself, and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. The more vulnerable you are with kids, and obviously there's professional limits to how vulnerable you should be in a classroom, but the more vulnerable you are and the more honest you are, the more vulnerable and honest they will be with you. And they will love learning and love you helping them learn all the more. Well, and thank you for saying that, Ben, because one thing that I didn't quite, I got it, but I didn't quite understand this. There has been a message over and over through almost every educator that's been on the podcast, Ben, and what you just summed up is that's it. My message to them as we take away is what Ben just said is, listen, it starts with you though. So unfortunately, the little ones come into our classroom. It doesn't matter what age, right? When the, when the, young, when the students come in, Ben, they're waiting for you to model, right? They're, they're not walking in going, oh, I want to get to know my teacher. And that's not the majority of them. They're waiting to see how you lead first. And if you will lead with your heart and you will lead to just be ordinary, and at that time, it just means being vulnerable, just show them you're an ordinary person and then go back and focusing on being an extraordinary teacher, they'll follow your lead. So when you model for them to be ordinary and vulnerable, then you'll start to see them be ordinary and vulnerable. And to me, that is where the connection is made. Hey, Ben, thanks for being on the show. I feel like I've made a stronger connection with you. How do you feel? I feel like we're better connected than ever, sir. That's all. Yeah. No, man. So I I thank you for your time. I know you find balance. I know you have a lot on your plate. Thank you for making the effort and the intentionality for being on the show today. I know our listeners are going to gather a lot of different experiences. I'm so glad we were able to capture the music teacher's experience and and talk about what that looks like. Um, And so I just wish you the best. I want to just wish you the best as you continue to grow through this year. The one thing I will ask you to continue to do and continue to help me along with everyone else that follows you is I want to make sure that you continue to be positive, continue to model for us, show us all those things, wear those crazy outfits. I hope there are listeners, if you have no idea what Ben looks like, that you go over to RCO first and you watch the video to see who Ben is as a person. He is an amazing educator, but he's also an amazing human being, but he, he lives out the spirit of who he wants to be. You, you are very transparent in who you are, Ben, from the costume of who you are to what you represent. I, I thank you for everything you do in education, Ben. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.